Today we say goodbye to a Dead Rabbit Radio favorite. Is it possible that there is a half... This is a weird transition, but... Is it possible that there's a half-woman... Is is it possible that there's a half-woman, half-worm hiding out in a castle? And then we travel to the battlefield of the Trojan War. Is it possible that the Trojan War actually never happened? And more importantly... Is it possible that no conspiracies have ever happened either? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I do have bad news though. Forrest Finn has passed away. Forrest Finn, for longtime listeners of the show... I did a couple episodes on him and his treasure where I said his treasure wasn't real, that he made the whole thing up to get people to go out and explore. I didn't really ascribe any negative negative things to him in the first episode. And then I got attacked by a bunch of his followers that called themselves the fanatics. It was pretty... It, they, they came after me pretty hard. I mean, I have my trick where I just don't read negative stuff, but um, I got a bunch of, I got a bunch of half-read things from them. But listen, here's the thing. All, all in, in the second episode, I did kind of throw them under the bus a bit, but it, I was wrong. The treasure was real, though now people think that he made it all. It's a whole weird thing, but regardless of that, I hate it. I, first off, I didn't hate the guy. I didn't hate the guy. His followers were a bunch of weirdos, but... Um, I never wish death on people, and I especially don't wish death on people that I have mild disagreements with. Like, obviously, if something bad happened to Franz, or something bad happened to the guy who made the helmets that could cure autism, or a couple of the other people we've covered, uh, Vampire Lord Kevin, all these people that I've kind of just gone after, I never want anything bad to happen to him. Force Finn lived to be 90 years old. He lived a very long and exciting life, and I honestly, it doesn't make me feel good to give that news. I hope that where he's at, he has peace, and uh, yeah, dude, I mean, it's kind of a bummer, because again, sometimes, like, I never want to cut, I don't want to get into it, but you know what I mean? Like, it sucks, right? It sucks. So, for the people who were fans of his, the people who now believe that he was faking it, (laughs) the whole story is incredibly complicated, but the but at the end of the day, I obviously uh, did not wish that this was the conclusion to his story. I mean, it, it, he, I guess he fell down or something like that. So, I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I feel bad. I feel bad. I, I don't... I, I mean, obviously, he's not super... He wasn't going to live forever, right? But, um, yeah, that does suck. So, to his family and to his friends and to his fans and to his followers and even to those fanatics, people, lunatics who were coming after me for... A long period of time. I am with you in your period of mourning. It definitely is not fun to make this announcement. And, um, yeah. Well, I don't have any other way to segue, segue from that. But let's give a shout out. <laughs> I know, I'm so bad at segues. Let's give a shout out to our newest Patreon supporter, Joe S. We're clapping. Joe S. is just shaking his head. He's like, dude, seriously, man? I'm on the death episode. Uh, you know, it's just, yeah. Sorry, Joe. Put my arm around you. Sorry, 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 buddy. He's he's a fanatic in hiding. He supported my Patreon just to get into the inner circle, but that's okay. You can do that. 
You're going to be, Joe, you are going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. Just help get the word out about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. Joe, I'm going to toss you the keys to the rabbit rowboat. We're going to take a long little sailing trip. We are leaving behind Smoky Smoky Oregon. We are headed out to Spain. Now, I got most of this information from an article by Juan Eslava Galen. So I appreciate it. I always like to give a shout out to the journalists who are doing all of the reporting for me. And then I just take notes. So we are headed out to Spain. Now, as we're rowing, we're going to row into a whirlpool. We're going back in time to the year 1231 AD. We're in a little town called Cazorla, Spain. Now, at this time, the Moors controlled this area. Everything's going fine. They got their little town set up. Dude's sitting in his castle. He's the king. He's not just the dude. He has me executed for that joke. But I'm reincarnated, and I come back as another podcast host, and I'm in disguise now. I'm wearing a big fake mustache. The king has his castle on top of this mountain. He looks down at his town, all the like smoke coming out of the fireplaces and stuff like that. He has really keen eyesight. He's like, that fire needs more kindling. But he gets distressing news. Apparently, the Christians are coming, and the Christians have a really, really bad reputation at this point in time. When he normally, if you're sitting in town and someone goes, "Hey, a bunch of Christians are going to show up," you're like, "Ah." Uh, Okay, I mean, that's fine. Maybe they'll knock on my door. Maybe they'll have a potluck and I'll be invited. Back then, the Christians are coming meant hide everything valuable and leave town. Because the Moors were like, dude, these guys are going to just brutally wipe us out. And then just take the city over. So the king goes, okay, here's the thing, guys. Let's get all the townspeople out first. So everyone, I know you guys all have a duty to me. I'm your king. But I also have a duty to protect you. The Christians are coming. Everyone starts freaking out. He's like, whoa, 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 I'm not done talking. Let me finish giving my orders. Leave in orderly fashion. Walk walk out of the town. Get all your valuables. Leave town. And I'll give you the order after the Christians are done raising the city to nothing. I'll give the order for everybody to come back. So all the townspeople leave. Now the king is there with like his royal court. And his young daughter is there too. And he's looking at things. And he goes, okay. Now it's our turn to leave. All of the townspeople are gone. Now it's our turn to leave. But he starts to think about it. And he goes, we know the Christian scouting parties are just around the corner. So I don't know if we can all get out safely. I don't know if me and the royal court here are actually going to be able to get out safely. So what he does, he does it without telling anybody this. He takes his daughter down into the castle. And there is a hidden room under there that only he knows about. His daughter even is like, what are we doing down here? And he opens up this door and he goes, no one else. Well, I guess if it's a door, it's pretty obvious, right? He's like, nobody knows the directions to this door. It's a door. It just opens and closes. Takes her to a secret passageway. Rolls a boulder out of the way or something like that. And he goes, nobody knows that this place is down here. So I'm going to give you a ton of oil for your lantern and a ton of food. And you're going to hang out down here. Now, what's going to happen is we're going to leave. And hopefully the Christians don't murder us on the spot. but." We'll come back. If that doesn't happen, if that doesn't happen, don't worry, you have a lot of food and a lot of oil. If that doesn't happen, we'll double back around after the Christians are gone, and we'll rescue you. And she's like, okay, I guess that's an okay plan, because the other option is her getting massacred as she's trying to leave with her father. So she gets sealed into this room, and he goes, remember, I will be back. But if you hear a bunch of noise in the castle, and I'm not, like, walking around, that means the Christians are here, and they'll probably kill you. 
<laughs> sleep tight, sleep tight, honey. She's like, ah. He closes the boulder or whatever. It is. I don't know if it was as dramatic as the boulder. He's not Superman. Otherwise, he'd be like just destroying the army. But he he puts her in a hidden spot. He leaves with his court. And they're like, hey, where's your daughter at? Like, I mean, you think you would want her to come? And he's like, it's too dangerous. I have her hidden away. Don't worry about it. We'll come back for her. So as they're leaving town, they're crossing this bridge out of the city. And all of a sudden, that was the sound effect. It was perfect. I probably don't even have to to explain it. You knew exactly what that was. That was the sound effect of an arrow being launched from a Christian scout's bow right into the Moorish king's neck. And he falls off of his horse. People are like, are you trying to say something? And he's thinking, obviously, I'm trying to say something. I'm not gurgling for my own good. And he's trying to say that his daughter is hidden in the castle. He's trying to explain exactly where it's at. Also trying to explain he hopes they can move boulders. You guys are from Krypton, right? He dies. And so the other dudes just bounce out of there because they don't know where the arrow came from. They're just not going to hang around. So they, the court takes off. They leave. Now, the Christians do move into the city, and they come into the city, and normally what they would do is they would ransack it and then blow it up. They'd invent dynamite, use it, blow it up, and then move on to the next town. But apparently this town was so lovely, the Christians showed up, and they're like, what? We can't pillage this. Look at these pillows. These are great. I'm not going to take these out of this house. I'm going to use them in this nice, comfy bed. I'm going to take a nap. They took over the city. They actually were like, oh, we'll just live here now. I guess the pillaging's done. Now, I would be scared if I walked into a town and there was nobody there. But again, now that I think about it, now that I think about it, my reputation isn't if I come to the town, everyone dies. If, if that was my reputation, I wouldn't be shocked at all. I'd be like, these are very smart people. Oh, they've read the local newspaper. They knew I was coming. If in a normal time, if a bunch of if just a bunch of Christians showed up in town, a bunch of Christians show up to New York and New York's deserted, you would think everyone got abducted. But that's not what it was. <laughs> they knew why these people left. So they just settled in the town and, and they were like, oh, this is a cool castle. Let's go hang out in this castle and stuff like that. But the legend doesn't stop there. So what they say happened was his daughter was in this castle. And she hears footsteps, clang, 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 That's supposed to be their armored feet hitting the ground. So she believes that the castle has been taken over by rampaging Christians. She's only half right. They're just Christians. <laughs> they got bored of rampaging at this point. So she stays in the basement. But what happens is eventually she runs out of oil. So she's in the dark. Uh-huh. She ran out of oil first and then... She's eating food. Obviously, she's not trying to light food. She, she has a foot-long sub lit on fire. She's walking through the catacombs. She's like, I should have eaten that. But she invented toasted bread that day, so it was a win for the world. She runs out of food eventually as well. And then, I don't know what the leap of logic is for this, but this is the equivalent of the boogeyman for this area. So I always thought the boogeyman was like in a, like either had a jacked-up face all gross looking or had a hood so you couldn't see his face maybe because his face was so gross he bought a hood boogeyman was a, a literal man right with a grody face or like a hood and you never saw his face but in this part of spain their boogeyman is actually a boogie woman very very progressive of them and 
What it is is that she spent so long in the catacombs of this castle that nobody knew about. She spent so long in the catacombs of this castle, no one ever rescued her, and she never cried out for help. And she ran out of all of her heating oil, so she had no light, and she ran out of all of her food, so she had nothing to eat. So what do you think happened to her? Well, I guess I gave it away in the beginning. She turned into a worm. So apparently, I don't know how much I don't know how much room was in this secret compartment, but she turned into a worm. So basically her legs were pressed together for so long that they just morphed into one giant worm body thing. And now late at night, she comes out and gets you. There's a nursery rhyme for this. So I guess I should say this too. Where we this nursery rhyme? Her name is La Tragantia. La La Tragantia. So if you're a little Spanish kid, a mom will sit down and she'll go, I am the Tragantia. <laughs> I don't know if she sings it all super spooky. She's moving all jerky like Samara, her head spinning around. <laughs> Let me try to sing this. She looks at her son and she goes, I am the Trigantia, daughter of the Moorish king. The one who hears me sing won't see the light of day, nor the night of San Juan. Now, I don't know. I didn't have musical. I didn't have like she music in front of me. One. Two, I'm pretty sure it rhymes in Spanish. I don't think. It sounds like she's just making it up. She's like, there's a worm woman. She's outside your house. The kid's like, then what happens? And the mom's like, uh, if you hear her sing, don't go to San Juan because she'll get you. The kids are like, what? I don't have a car. I'm supposed to get to San Juan. She's like, I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll rework the rhyme tomorrow. So it sounds a little like it was, what's the night of San Juan? I, I, I get that part, I guess. But, like, would you be able to see the night in Casablanca? But, um, anyway, so that is the story of La Tragantia. Because it's a real castle. It's a real castle. It's a real city. That There's a historical part to it where the Christians did just kind of find an empty town and move into it. And they have this uh, castle. You can go visit it. It's actually a tourist trap. They say it's a lot smaller than you would think. You're like, What? I thought this place would be way bigger. I thought I'd have way more leg room. You start turning into a worm. They have like one star on Yelp. They're like, the food was great, but I'm a worm now. I've totally turned into a worm. Too small of a castle. But apparently it is a tiny castle. And there's a door with a big iron ring on it that nobody opens because they're afraid there's a worm woman in it. Which, uh, that doesn't scare me at all. Like, I would totally be down to hang out with a worm woman. Here's why. Because you could hop on her back and she would like ride around town. I mean, assuming she didn't, you know, kill you. But, uh, you know, if you were nice to it and you were, like, feeding her, bring her oil and food, and next thing you know, you got a new mode of transportation. The worm woman. So that is the story of Locke Tragantia. And very, very interesting one. Very interesting one. I do have to say this. What's what's funny about the story is, other than the fact that a woman turned into a worm, is that if the king was the only one who knew where the daughter was, where did the story come from? And the Christians wouldn't have known, right? I'm sure that part of it's totally fake. Maybe his daughter just disappeared. Maybe she just evaporated before the Christians showed up. Yeah, who knows? But Or the daughter didn't exist. It's totally fable. We don't know. But people to this day still believe that if you're a stubborn youth, you don't do your chores and you stay up too late, the worm woman will show up outside your house and make it so you will never see the night in San Juan. 
which again isn't a problem for, for it's only a problem for people who live in San Juan. Everyone else is like, yeah, I can do that. They don't do their homework and there's a warm woman outside and they're like, hi, and she just kind of leaves. And there you go. That is that story. And as we're riding out of town, we all have our own worm woman. We're riding out of town. And I look over at you and I go, you know who really likes worms? <laughs> who really likes to eat worms? Birds. More specifically, <laughs> the birds. The birds. The Alfred Hitchcock Classics Collection is available now in a 4K Ultra HD combo pack with a Blu-ray and digital code from Universal Pictures Home Entertainment. This collection includes, for the very first time, the original, never-released, uncut version of Psycho. Universally recognizes the master of suspense, the legendary Alfred Hitchcock directed some of cinema's most thrilling and unforgettable classics. This collection includes four iconic films from the acclaimed director's illustrious career, including Rear Window, Vertigo, Psycho, and The Birds. That's why I was talking about that in stunning 4K resolution. Starring Hollywood favorites such as James Stewart, Grace Kelly, Anthony Perkins, Janet Leigh, Tippi Hedren, Kim Novak, and Rod Taylor, this essential collection features hours of bonus features, as well as the original, uncut version of Psycho for the first time ever. This collection with collectible disc book packaging includes hours of bonus features, such as documentaries, expert commentaries, interviews, screen tests, and much, much more. <laughs> That's the worm women. They're neighing. I don't know what sound a worm makes, so <laughs> they sound like horses. We jump off of our worm women, and we see them fighting the birds. Don't worry, they'll win. And we're going to hop on the Carpenter Copter. Super surreal episode. We're hopping on the Carpenter Copter. Joe S., take us out of this worm woman slash the birds battle. We are headed out to ancient Troy. Helicopter is flying through the time vortex. Now we're back in time and it is Greek stuff. A bunch of Greek soldiers standing there with their swords and their spears. It is year nine of the 10 year Trojan War. They're standing out on a beach and there's like a big old castle or fort or something like that. I saw a movie about it once starring Brad Pitt. And they're like, yo, we want Helen of Troy. And the people in the castle are like, never, she's ours. And then like a bunch of dudes are like running up and they're like punch, punching the gate. That's what they do. And the city of Troy is like, oh no, with enough punches, eventually the gate will be destroyed. 5,000 years of this, it'll just fall apart. So a bunch of dudes pour out of the city of Troy and they're like punching a bunch of Greeks. And then Achilles shows up or apparently like his cousin is disguised as Achilles. Apparently his cousin dressed up like him or his nephew or something like that. And he got ganked. And then the real Achilles came out and like killed a bunch of people and got stabbed in the the ankle. Technically the Achilles tendon. And he like died. And then the Greeks were like, oh no, dude. Achilles was like our best dude, right? There's a bunch of other warriors over there being like, oh, I thought I was the best. And they're like, yeah, you'll be the best tomorrow. But he was the best yesterday and he's dead. So they're like, the only way we can defeat Troy is we build a giant wooden horse and we put a bunch of dudes in it and then we leave, we like leave it outside their gates and then like you have one guy left and he's like hey Troy you win here's a present for you it's it's a present that happens to be big enough to hold all the soldiers that are missing on this beach i know there was a bunch of dudes out here just a couple hours ago and they're not here now they're all taking a nap but it's just me and here's this horse so then Troy's like oh that's dope so they open their door up and the Trojan horse gets wheeled in, and then that night, 
There's no guards. Everyone in Troy goes to sleep. They're like, oh, that's weird. Everyone else is napping. We should take a nap, too. The war is over. And then a bunch of Greeks popped out of the horse and began killing everyone in the city. And then I honestly don't know what happened to Helen. I think she got kidnapped back. She got re-kidnapped. I don't think she died, but the Greeks, like, slaughtered everyone in Troy. And that was the end of the Trojan War. Or that's what you've been led to think. This is a really interesting story on two levels. This was recommended to me by Josh. He sent this to me a while back. So the Trojan War has been a Greek rallying point for centuries. It's one of those things that they're like, we did that. We destroyed that city. We killed all those sleeping people. Go Greece. The Trojan War is believed to have taken place between 1260 BC and 1180 BC. And throughout the years, people have kind of said, oh, maybe it's a myth. Maybe it didn't happen. Maybe it happened, but it's exaggerated. But it's been close to 3,000, more than 3,000 years since it happened. So people have those debates now. But to question the event in ancient Greece was almost heresy. This philosopher shows up in ancient Greece named Dio Chrysostom. And he said it didn't happen. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? It absolutely happened. He's like, hear me out. And he weaves this tale of how it's 100% fake. There's some debate over whether or not he actually believed it happened. Some people say that he's making this argument just to show that you can make an argument about anything. While other people believe that, no, he doesn't believe that the war happened. And he's trying to convince people to let go of a false past to accept the future. He says that Homer set the Iliad in the ninth year of a ten-year war to confuse you. If he'd started it from the beginning, he would have to explain a bunch of stuff. He started in the ninth year. He started towards the end. He doesn't have to explain a bunch of stuff. Stuff that could leave holes in his story. He does believe that the Greeks set sail, but it was a bunch of small skirmishes. He said there was never a massive pitched battle. You didn't have these one-on-one fights with Achilles doing all this crazy stuff. That didn't happen. He says for about nine years, the Greeks burned down villages all around Troy. And then when the Trojan army finally was like, you know what, dude, we got to do something. He burned down these villages. They went, they fought the Greeks and just stomped them, pushed them back to the beach, started to slaughter them. And the Greeks surrendered. And Troy goes, listen, if you surrender, you got to pay us. And they go, well, we didn't bring any money with us. We were hoping we would plunder it all from you guys. You got to give us something. So they built a horse and left it at the gates and then sailed home with their tail between their legs. But by the time they got home, they had all agreed to tell a story that they had destroyed Troy. What's interesting about this is I'm going to read you the beginning of his discourse on this. While I do this, I want you to think of a conspiracy theory that you believe. A conspiracy theory that you absolutely believe in. And then I want you to think of a conspiracy theory that is super dumb. Like, it's one of the ones that you hear and you can't believe other people believe in it. You hear it and you're like, seriously, dude, Flat Earth, or whatever. A conspiracy, I want you to think of a conspiracy theory that you believe, that you would argue with somebody about. And then a conspiracy theory that you think is so dumb that when people say they believe in it, it actually, you actually feel like you're talking to a dummy. Let me read you this here. This is the 11th Discourse, maintaining that Troy was not captured. I am almost certain that while all men are hard to teach, they are easy to deceive. They learn with difficulty, if they learn anything, from the few that know, 
but they are deceived only too readily by the many who do not know. And not only by others, but by themselves as well. For the truth is bitter and unpleasant to the unthinking, while falsehood is sweet and pleasant. They are, I fancy, like men with sore eyes. They find the light painful, while the darkness, which permits them to see nothing, is restful and agreeable. Else how would falsehood often prove mightier than the truth, if it did not win its victories through pleasure? But though, as I have said, it is hard for men to learn, it is immensely more difficult for them to unlearn and learn over again, especially when they have been listening to a falsehood for a long time. And not only themselves, but their fathers, their grandfathers, and generally speaking, all former generations have been deceived. For it is no easy matter to disabuse these of their opinion, no matter how clearly you show it to be wrong. I, I think you guys are all intelligent. I don't think you guys really need a breakdown of what that means. But you may be wondering why I had you think of two completely opposite conspiracy theories. One that you believe and one you think is stupid. When I was first reading this, I was like, ah, oh, this totally describes flat earthers, right? Like, the lie is more comforting than the truth. The truth involves you having to think of things outside of your vision. You gotta remember the globe, dude. You gotta think of this giant ball that we're on. That's a, not a very comfortable thought that's spinning through space using all sorts of magic we call physics. They'd rather believe the lie. And as I'm reading this, I'm thinking of all the conspiracy theories that I think are total bunk for different reasons. But then I thought, this applies to every single conspiracy theory that I believe in as well. And it caused a little bit of, I remember reading it and I kind of stopped. It, it kind of caused a little bit of, I don't know if cognitive dissonance is the right term for it, but I thought about all the conspiracy theories I do believe in and the ones that I don't, and it applies equally to both. So this is your homework. You guys got homework this episode. I really want you to think about the two conspiracies you chose. And think about them in the way that Dio put it. The lie is more comforting than the truth. And it's easier for a man to learn than it is to unlearn something and then learn it again. Because we're all pretty entrenched on our conspiracy theories. Now, I've been very open with the fact, very open with you guys with the fact, that I was a 9-11 truther for about 10 years. It wasn't a brief flirtation. We dated. It was a long-term relationship. We were close to getting engaged. 10 years I was a 9-11 truther. I'd say about that, 8 to 10 years, somewhere around that. But again, not, it was more than a weekend. It was more than a weed-fueled weekend watching YouTube. I really believe 9-11 was an inside job. Now, the closest I'll come is that elements of the government may have known it was coming and may have assisted with it. You may have had a couple generals paid off or colonels paid off or something like that. That's not that's within the realm of possibility, because that type of spycraft happens all the time. But the idea of bombs being put in the buildings, I don't believe in that anymore. I did, though. I did. And what I had to... First, I saw some unedited footage from 9-11 of Building 7 collapsing, and I go, whoa, uh, the truther community had been showing me edited footage for the past 8 to 10 years. I don't remember the exact timeline, but... So that was a wake-up call. I was being lied to by the... The ones who don't know are doing most of the teaching, see? And I was being lied to by the truther community as well as the government, because you know the government's going to lie to you, right? 
And then I just kind of really started thinking about the the physics behind it all. How could you wire three buildings with explosives? Nobody find the explosives. Fly two planes into two of the buildings. Don't disconnect any of the explosives. The explosives don't go off early. And still, even though you have these buildings completely wired with bombs, they survive the plane crash, they survive the fireball, they survive the physical impact, all of this stuff. None of the bombs get disconnected. They still act perfectly. You could take a building. Now this is a (laughs) 9-11 segment, but you could prove this, actually. Take a two-, three-story building, because you're rich. You can buy one of those. Wire it with explosives. Don't actually do this, even if you are rich. But take a three-story building, wire it with explosives, drive a bulldozer through it, and see if the explosives still go off perfectly. Because I'm pretty sure a couple cables are going to get ripped when the bulldozer smashes through the wall. But I had to, I, I was really invested in 9-11 conspiracy theories. I really believed it, and I put myself out there by arguing it with people, both people I knew and random people. And not online, mind you, in real life, right? I wasn't hitting up forums and stuff like that. I'd be talking to people in real life, telling them that 9-11 was an inside job, that the buildings were wired with bombs. I'm just asking questions, all that stuff. Now, the conspiracy theory that you chose, you may go, well, Jason, 9-11 was an inside job, was dumb. I don't believe that, but my conspiracy theory that I chose as my favorite conspiracy theory is true. I still want you to look at it from the point of view of Dio. I think it will open your eyes. Now, it may open your eyes to go, I've doubled down on my conspiracy theory. I actually believe it's even more true now. And, And it may be true. See, that's the thing. There are conspiracy theories that I still believe in. And I've talked about those on past episodes. But it's an interesting experiment. I really want you guys to look at conspiracy theory. I want you to look at the conspiracy theory you chose as one you really believe in. And yeah, think about it in that sense. Who did you learn it from? Are they the learned of us? Who did they learn it from? Has it been passed down for generations? Is it a recent conspiracy theory? Really kind of analyze it and take it apart. And if you put it back together and you still believe it, that's totally fine. I'm not here to like poo-poo all over your conspiracy theories. Again, I have conspiracy theories that I still believe in. And and people have said, oh, that's probably not true. For example, I'll just say this, because not everyone listened to episode 5 of the podcast. There was a conspiracy theory going around that the private prison industry needed more inmates, so they teamed up. It sounds ridiculous, right? This sounds ridiculous, but it's one of those conspiracy theories that I go, yeah, that's probably true. Private prison industry was starting to boom in the late 80s, early 90s, But when you have for-profit-run prisons, you definitely need prisoners. So, this guy tells a story where he was a producer and the record companies of the late 80s met with people from the private prison industry and they said, you guys need to make gangster rap the number one music out there because we need people to fill our prisons. Interesting conspiracy theory. It's definitely possible because I think at the end, I believe conspiracy theories that involve greed are tend to be more realistic than involve world domination. Because even if you took over the world, then what? Right? You take over the world, you kill off 90% of the world's population, it's down to 500 million, and then what? Then the strong survive, see? All the rich people who are getting ready to have this utopia where there's only 500 million people, the second that happens, the physically strongest or the most military astute will rule the planet. And the Bill Gates and the Jeff Bezos and all these people who put their money into this pot to do this are second-class citizens, at best. 
And, and they're smart enough to know that. They're smart enough to know that. Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos are smart enough to know. I don't think they're part of this conspiracy theory. I don't think the conspiracy theory is actually true. That's a very common one, that there's a ruling class that wants to decimate the world population, and they will rule. They will rule for exactly 72 hours before one of them seizes power from the rest. And they know that. That's why that's a dumb conspiracy theory. And it's super popular out there. It doesn't work past day three. It really doesn't. If the Illuminati took over the planet, or some people say they already run it, but let's say they enacted their new world order and they begin culling the population and everything like that, by sunset day three, it's utter civil chaos in the Illuminati council. Conspiracy theories always have this weird, they they never take it to the next step. They go, reptilians are taking over the planet. Okay, why? For food. Okay. And then what happens when, well, first off, why aren't they just eating us now if they're so powerful? And then, then what? They rule us, we're like cattle. Okay. They could have done that in 1482 way easier than they can do that in 2020. So I don't know why they didn't do it back then, but they never really argue them past that step. What happens after the Illuminati takes control on day four? That they're decimated as well. Okay, now I'm getting off. Now I'm getting off topic, and I'm doing that thing that's really easy to do when you have a podcast. I'm setting up strawmen and, and knocking them down. But I really want you to think of the conspiracy theory you really like. That's your homework for today, and think about it from his point of view. The re- and I'm not saying that this is true, but from his point of view, the reason why you believe that conspiracy theory you like is because it's easy to believe. It's easier to believe than the truth. The truth is hard to believe. The conspiracy will always be easier to swallow because, one, it makes sense of a random chaotic world. Two, it gives you a sense of comfort because it makes you feel special because you have secret knowledge of the universe. And three, a lie is always more comfortable to the human mind. But all that being said, all that being said... Lady Gaga probably did murder murder all those people. That's one of the conspiracy theories I believe in. The one that's eventually probably going to get me sued by the Gaga estate. But even then, even it's so funny I laugh about that one. Every, that conspiracy theory I probably think about more than most nowadays. Every, so every time I see Lady Gaga, I go, did she? Did she really? Did she really? Huh. I don't know. Maybe what? Huh? Those are the noises I make whenever I see a Lady Gaga article. Really? Do I really think she did that? Did I? Do I? Do I think? <laughs> I think about it almost every day. Did a Lady Gaga actually murder two people? I don't know. The lie is always more comfortable than the truth, right? But, but sometimes the lie is the truth. Take that, ancient Greek philosopher. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. Twitter is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Bye.